Well, hey, good morning, Harvest. How are you guys doing this morning? Good, good, awesome. Well, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it to Proverbs 18. We're gonna be in Proverbs 18 this morning. And if you don't have a Bible with you, go ahead and just raise your hand. We got some people who are walking down with Bibles. And if you don't own a Bible, that's yours to keep. We'd love to uh, have you have a copy of God's word. So Proverbs 18, we're gonna be kind of jumping around in and through Proverbs, but that's where we'll be for a good chunk of this time. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Jordan. I'm the high school pastor uh, here. Uh, it's a privilege and honor to be here. And um, uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, we brought um, a group of high school students and leaders to Camp Harvest. Uh, July is an awesome month for us. Camp Harvest is always a highlight of the year. And, and again, time and time again, God shows up and does an awesome work in the lives of students and leaders. And so I just want to say, just starting out, thank you guys so much for your prayers and for your generosity in getting students there for, for parents. Making your kid go to Camp Harvest is a huge blessing for us. And so thank you guys guys for that partnership. We can't do it without uh, you. And God responded in an awesome way. It's so cool to be at a church that is so invested in the lives of our young people as, as we want them to know and follow Jesus. And so thank you for your partnership uh, in that. Um, one of the things I love about Camp Harvest is the theme that we did. Uh, the theme that we did was tremble. And we looked at what it meant to have a right fear and understanding of who God was. And so we really did a deep dive of what it means to, to fear the Lord? What's our right response? And the awesome thing when you look at that is when you have a right, uh, right view of who God is, then you know more accurately how you are to respond to who God is and how we're to live. And that's the idea of, of Proverbs as well, right? Proverbs 1.7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge and that fools despise wisdom and instruction, but this is what I really appreciate about Proverbs. Proverbs, the goal is not to make you and I better rule followers. Like following the rules is important and it is 100% wise to follow the rules. But what Proverbs demands and what wisdom demands is more than just our white knuckling rule following abilities. It demands every aspect of our lives. You see, wisdom demands our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions. And as we'll see today, it demands our relationships. It demands every aspect of our lives. And so as we've been going through this Proverbs series, the first week, um, Jake talked about the fact that we have a lot of choices in life. How do you and I measure the quality of our decisions and then Pastor Dave laid down uh, the idea of two paths. There's a path of wisdom, and then there's a path of foolishness. And which path are you on? If you have uh, Apple CarPlay, you're automatically on the path of wisdom, he said, quote unquote. Uh, you can go listen to uh, the sermon. Um, and so the idea is, what trajectory are you on right now? And then Pastor Ben uh, last week talked about anger, and that you and I choose our attitudes and that wisdom doesn't just work on our decisions. Wisdom in the process of our decisions, it works on our hearts as well. And I'm not sure if you've noticed the theme in Proverbs yet, but my argument for our time today is that true wisdom, like true gospel-centered living, is only possible in community. You cannot truly live out wisdom out of the context of community. Let me show you in Proverbs 18 verse one. We're gonna read Proverbs 18, verse one, and then two, and then we're gonna to jump to the end of Proverbs 18 and verse 24. So why don't you read with me? 
Proverbs 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire and he breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Then verse 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. You see, what I believe Proverbs 18 is saying is if you want to walk the path of wisdom, you're going to have to have some people around you who are willing to speak truth into your life. And not just like people in general, you need some people who are able to speak some specific truth to every aspect of your life because you and I were created to have friends. Um, just real quickly, this isn't in your notes, but I want to take a, a brief uh, look at what's the theology of friends? Where do we get the idea of friendship from? Because it's not a man-made thing. This actually comes from God. We see it in Genesis chapter 1. So quick theology of friends, if you're taking notes. Number one is God has always been in community. God's always been in community. Genesis 1, we see it right in the beginning of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse two, and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You see, the awesome thing here is that the noun for God is actually plural. It's plural there. But then when it says that God created all things, that created verb is singular. And so what you see right from the beginning is before the foundations of the earth, God was there three in one, father, spirit, and son in perfect relationship with one another. And what happens next after God creates all things, right? He, he looks and it looks at creation. And then in verse 26 of Genesis 1, he says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. You see, number two of the theology of friends is we are image bearers. We are image bearers. And so in likeness, being created like God, in the image of God, you and I were created to long for community. And so God creates this perfect place right? The, the garden, it has everything that man could ever want. And in the meantime, he gets to name all the animals while he's bored, right? It's awesome. It's a great plan. But what does God notice next in Genesis 2:18? We see, then God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. How awesome is that? The first relationship created. No arguments, no regret, no shame, perfect relationship with one another. And that's number three of the theology of friends. We are wired to be known and loved. We're wired to be known and loved. And the, the awesome thing is that God doesn't just create Adam and Eve, send them off in the garden, and then disappear to never come back to them again, right? We see in, in Genesis 3 that he's walking with them in the garden, in relationship with uh, him. We are meant to walk with God, but how long did that last for Adam and Eve? Not long, right? We see in, uh, in Genesis 3, 8, right after this, um, it says that, and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees and the garden. Do you see the choice? They chose the path of foolishness. They chose that God was not enough for them, even though he had provided more than enough. You see, that's the result of sin. Number four, sin always separates us from others. What's their response as God's walking through the garden? They hide. They hide from him. As if Jesus, as if God didn't know what had just happened as he walks up and calls out to them. 
You see, sin makes relationships really messy. And whether it be immediate family for you or coworkers or just friends that you have, acquaintances, every relationship this side of heaven is touched by the fall. Every single one. And so the, the question for you and me is, why do we try? Why is Proverbs going to ask us to try to lean into something that we know is going to be skewed by sin? We have to remember it's because it's how we're made. That you and I are wired to be known and loved. To walk the path of wisdom means to walk with others. You see, Proverbs will argue in chapter 18 that there is no better person to navigate the mess of relationships like a faithful friend. There's no better person. And so as we jump into Proverbs 18 uh, and this idea of friendship, we're met with two warnings immediately, right? So the first warning is this, two ways a friendship is sure to fail or two ways friendships fail. And the first is this, it's bad friends. A relationship relationship will fail if you have bad friends. I don't know if you've heard the quote uh, that says, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with, right? Or or the idea is, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. And and the idea is mainly used in like a business standpoint of like, if you want to be successful, hang out with successful people. And whereas I don't agree with that, I don't agree hanging out with successful or important people makes you more successful or important, I do believe that there's some wisdom there. I do believe that Proverbs speaks to that. For example, Proverbs 18, 24, it says, a man of many companions may come to ruin. Proverbs 13, 20 says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Or even 1 Corinthians 15, 33, do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. And so do you see the warning there? Like good news, if you hang out with people who are wise, you may become more wise, but then also um, foolishness is also contagious, right? Foolishness is contagious. And so we see that bad friends, um, one, they have the, the ability to corrupt convictions. Bad friends corrupt convictions. Um, in your upbringing, it's said that you and I are the product of how we are raised, But then as you grow up, you and I are the product of who we hang out with, right? And this can be a really great thing, but it also could be a really bad thing. Um, Full honesty in the church, okay? Just to get really honest here for a moment. Um, uh, Can you raise your hand if you grew up, think back to like your junior high and high school days. If if you have to close your eyes and think about it, it's okay, do that. Um, Think think way back to that moment. Um, Were you a good kid or were you a bad kid? Could you just raise your hand if you were any good kids in the room this morning? Like like you got great, wow, there's a lot of you, way more than the five o'clock yesterday. Just to give you a heads up. You guys are on time, this is great. Um, Yeah, like, like you guys like great friends, good upbringing, probably did really well in school. Like I, I assume you guys were like kind of the people who when you got like a B plus, um, you, there'd be some tears and you'd walk up to your teacher and ask for extra credit. Like any of you guys, and that, it's okay. Like you could be really proud. You should be proud to be a good kid. Proverbs says you win. Um, and that's great for you guys. Okay, full, full transparency. Any bad kids in the room? Like any kids? Yeah, okay, the, the sound booth in the back? That's great. Um, yeah, up here. Like, yeah, I, uh, like not the best friends. Um, uh, maybe some not great judgment calls, some pranks are, are involved. Um, uh, for me, like if I got a B plus in anything other than PE or lunch, I was thrilled. Like that was an awesome moment. 
And, and it's okay. Like, you don't need to be ashamed of being uh, the bad kid. Like, sanctification. God is so glad that you're here this morning. But you know the best advice I got when I was going through school and I was struggling, actually was in college, the best advice I got from a professor is, as he said, hey, Jordan, if you wanna do better in school, you need to start hanging out with people who are smarter than you. And, and, and like, here's why this worked. Not because I grew in like this awesome uh, ability and knowledge um, just by hanging out with good people. The, the, the reason why this worked is because I actually learned discipline. I saw how they studied when they got up, what they did, how they spent their day. It was awesome. From that moment on, I was like a straight B plus student in college. That's a joke, you can laugh at that, it's okay. Like that's, it's fine. I wanna ask, what kind of influence are your friends? Do your friends deepen your convictions to godly things or do they drive you away from wisdom? You see what happens when we buy into this foolishness. Bad friends, point two, they also have the capability of bringing harm. They bring harm. Proverbs 13, 20 warns. He says, or they say, well, whatever walks, uh, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. What does it mean there? It means that there are consequences for your actions. And that's why Proverbs is constantly warning us about the decisions that we make. When God says don't, he's saying don't hurt yourself. Uh, we see this uh, happen all the time in high school ministry, especially for high schoolers who uh, go off to college. They're like, at, while they're here, they're connected, they're, they're deepening, they're growing in their walk with Christ, they, they have high conviction, great friends, all these things are going well for them until they go off to college and they're away from their parents, they're away from good community, and all of a sudden you see the draw of foolish friends begin to happen. Well, why? Because doing foolish things can be fun, right? But where does that often lead? Usually, foolish friends will lead to some harm and unexpected consequences. But ultimately, where this all leads to, point number three, is it leads to ruin. It leads to ruin. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 6 say, blessed are the joyful, or blessed, sorry, blessed or joyful is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. That, the idea is, is there is happy is the man that does not commit. There's a stand, sit, walk, commits to these ways. The one who commits to those ways will not be happy or blessed. Why? Because in verse six, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Okay, but what about Jesus? What about Jesus, right? The Bible calls him the friend of tax collectors and sinners, right? Didn't the son of man come to seek and save the lost? And so how do we navigate that road as Jesus did? I believe this is a matter of influence, right? Jesus hung out with tax collectors and sinners to influence them, to seek and save them, not vice versa. That's the difference. And so I wanna ask you, what kind of influence are your friends? Do they deepen your, um, your, your way of conviction? Do they lead you on the path of wisdom or do they lead you to a greater degree of foolishness? And then also on the other side of that coin, what kind of friend are you? What kind of friend are you to your friends? Are you leading them down the path of foolishness, making compromises along the way? We cannot punt on this warning. It's a slippery slope. 
The second warning we see in Proverbs 18 when it comes to friendships is no friends. So there's bad friends is the first warning. No friends is the second warning. Or the, the idea is isolation. Isolation. Um, I think we've learned a thing or two about isolation in the last couple of years. Wouldn't you say? You see, Proverbs 18, um, 1 and 2, it says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. The idea is he fights against. He goes to war with all sound judgment. And then a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Proverbs 12 says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof or correction is stupid. You see, that's a really strong warning. It's not just saying that that's foolish to do. God's saying that if you hate being corrected, that you're stupid. I didn't say it, he said it. Why don't you practice that? Turn to your neighbor and tell them, that's a, right, don't do that, not a good plan. <laughs> that was a test, friend test. Right, and then Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends in the way of death. The way of death is this picture, there's a fork in the road. There, there's the way of wise living and the way of foolish living. It's saying don't ignore the warning signs along the way. Isolation is one of those. Don't believe the lie of like you do you and everything will just work out and be okay. Listen to godly counsel around you because Proverbs would argue that isolation would ultimately lead to these three things. One, it corrupts judgment. It corrupts our judgment. The second is it breeds pride. It breeds pride. And then the last is it leads to destruction. Um, we don't have to look far to see how this plays out in our day and age. Um, earlier this year, the US Surgeon General put out an advisory titled, Our Epidemic of Loneliness and Isolation, an advisory on the healing effects of social connection and community. And in it, they write, I quote, in recent years, about one in two adults in America reported experiencing loneliness. Loneliness is far more than just a bad feeling. It harms both individual and societal health. It's associated with the greater risk of cardiovascular disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, and premature death. The mortality impact of being socially disconnected is similar to that caused by smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day and even greater than associated with obesity and physical activity. Um, and if that makes you feel great, here's a graph that will make you feel uh, even better. Um, it says lacking social connection is as dangerous as smoking 15 cigarettes a day, drinking six alcoholic drinks a day, physical inactivity, obesity, and good old air pollution, right? One of the connections that they make in this study is between loneliness and the use of social media, it's, it's amazing. They say in a US-based study, participants who reported using social media for more than two hours a day had about double the odds of reporting increased perceptions of social isolation compared to those who use social media for less than 30 minutes per day. And you might be thinking, two hours a day, like there's no way I'm at two hours a day, so that does not apply to me. You know what the, the national average that, that they reported of, of usage of social media for adults in America is? It's six hours per day. Do me a favor and just look at your history of, uh, on your phone. That might be a wake-up call. It was for me. How are we so connected, so befriended, so viewed, and so liked, and all the while becoming more and more isolated? 
I believe that so much of the war on wisdom for our youth is currently being fought on the battleground of social media. There's so much unchecked depression, anxiety, loneliness, comparison. And if you're a parent in the room, um, I wanna invite you, we're gonna have a conference and we're gonna be talking about this um, subject. It's called the Protect Young Eyes Conference. We're inviting, um, it's an organization that's gonna come in and they're gonna talk about what it means to have digital discernment. And so if you're interested in that, there's gonna be more information on the website. It's free. It's only like a, a morning commitment and we'll be meeting here in this room. And so if you're interested, you can sign up on our website. And even if you're not like part of a, a family or a a student um, is not connected to our youth, it's okay, you can uh, still come. Like it's for our community. The goal of this is not to freak us out. It's to say that God's word is true and choosing the path of wisdom matters. Bad friends and no friends will only lead you down the path of foolishness. And so how can we take this warning seriously? If I can just ask you uh, to pause and think about these questions, test yourself. Who knows you? Like right now, who knows you? And not like kind of knows you, who really knows you? The good, the bad, when you win or lose, what you struggle with. Who knows that what, 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 when you're struggling, what you turn to? And the second question is this, are you teachable? Are you and I teachable? How do we respond to correction? If you want to test, ask your spouse, how do I respond to correction? Psychologists say that the average adult makes about 300, uh, sorry, 35,000 remotely conscious decisions each day. Who is checking your blind spots on those decisions? Paul Tripp says in his book, Lead, the isolated, independent, and separated, self-hiding Christian is alien to the Christianity of the New Testament. Biblical Christianity is thoroughly and foundationally relational. Guys, we have to get this if we are gonna choose to take this series seriously. And if we wanna walk a path of wisdom, we cannot live without true friends in community. And if you and I don't let the gospel intercede on our relationships, it's only a matter of time before we'll go back into either no friends or isolation. That's my big idea for today is a friendship without the gospel will fail. A friendship without the gospel will fail. If the gospel is not the foundation for your relationships and for your community, it will fail. And so what's the alternative? Like there has to be a better way the better way, as Proverbs 18 will say, is to have a friend that sticks closer than a brother. We're gonna look at um, friendships that won't fail. And the first is this, a true friend chooses friendship. A true friend chooses friendship. A true friend is chosen, right? Proverbs 18 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The first idea here is that true friend is discovered. You can't force friendship to happen, right? Proverbs 27 will say that the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. And the sweetness there was actually, it was honey. They didn't have any like artificial sweeteners. That, that sweeteners back in the day had to be found and so is a great friend. It's discovered. C.S. Lewis uh, in his book, The Four Loves, he talks about how discovering a friendship, the, the, the first line is what? You too? I thought I was the only one. Friendships share something basic in common, whether it be convictions or sports or hobbies. Friends by nature share interest. And so that's good news. You and I get to choose our friendships. 
but also choose wisely. The second idea we see here in this passage is this, is that friends are rare. They're uncommon. Like the most precious things in life, they're uncommon. Notice how uh, verse 24 says, a man of many companions may come to ruin. What it's saying here is you and I can have a lot of buddies in life. We can have a lot of friends, but those friends and buddies, they can't just kind of know you. That's not a true friend. The true friend that's talking about here is someone who really knows you. It's saying that you, we should aim for brothers, not buddies or sisters. See, Proverbs isn't saying also that family is bad. The assumption here is that family will be here no matter what. It's not just what they do, it's who they are. Family will always stick close, but a true friend is not obligated to treat you like family. They choose to. They choose to treat you. They stick closer than a brother. And the third idea we see in this passage is this, is that a true friend is in it for the long run. A true friend chooses to stick it out no matter what, good times and bad. When it says a friend sticks closer than a brother, uh, that verb sticks, it it actually means to cleave or to cling to, to hold on to. Uh, Have you guys ever been tubing behind a boat? We're uh, we're a boating community and tubing behind a boat is a lot of fun. Uh, It's a very simple goal when you're tubing uh, behind a boat. And the idea is by whatever means necessary, don't fall off, right? And, And a true friend buys into that same goal, right? It's, it's you guys on the tube versus the driver. On, on turns, weight needs to be distributed perfectly. You, you have to fight for your life to stay behind the boat in the wake and out of the waves. And when one person starts to fall, a true friend will grab the life jacket and by all means necessary, pull you back onto the tube. That's the idea of friendship here and a brother that sticks close. See, tubing is not just a sport, it's an art, and so is being a brother. The idea and the choice of a true friend is this, Proverbs 17, 17, a true friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Does this mean that this person is perfect? Well, no, by no means. What it's saying here is a true friend is meant to weather the storms of life. Do you have a friend like that? Do you have a friend that is rare and as close as a brother that's willing to hold on for dear life and stick it out with you? But also, are you that type of friend to other people? Would it be an advantage for a person to choose to have a friend in you? Are you that brother or sister? So what happens when a friend doesn't meet that requirement? When a friend fails to love well, Well, a true friend is chosen, and then number two, a true friend is willing to speak the uncomfortable. Willing to speak the uncomfortable. You see, one of the greatest misconceptions of culture is that if we're gonna love someone, we have to affirm everything that they do in life. And so often, you and I will shop for friends that will only affirm our decisions. That's not a true friend. A true friend is not indifferent towards your blind spots. Like when you have something stuck in your teeth, a true friend will call you out and will let you know, right? Make the awkward choice. A friend will tell you what you need to hear over what you want to hear. And so often, uh, if you're like me, when a friend uh, calls me out or tells me what I need to hear, I'll feel attacked. The loving thing to do is to speak the hard truth if you're a true friend. Do your friends tell you what you want to hear, what you need to hear? 
Because Proverbs 27 says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. You see, true friendship doesn't just invite, uh, sorry, doesn't just embrace correction. A true friend invites correction, even if it stings in the moment. Um, this week uh, on Tuesday will be nine years of my wife and I being married. It's our nine-year anniversary, um, and my wife is is an awesome uh, friend. Uh, a couple weeks after we got married, we moved uh, to Chicago and we started school at Moody Bible Institute. And on that like third or fourth week, um, we got invited to a wedding, and it was, it was actually the wedding of Taylor and Sam Bacon. And it was in Chicago, and so it was really awesome that we got to go and be a part of that. And it was really fun for us because we had left here and we hadn't seen any Harvest people since we. We had gotten married. And so um, we were catching up with people. And one of the people that we had seen was Eric and Jenny Klingel. At the time, they were on staff here. Now they're at Fremont. And they had done our premarital counseling. And so as we're catching up with people, talking to people, um, Pastor Eric walked up to me. And he just asked, hey, Jordan, how's school going? How's life? And of course, like, you know what I said, three weeks being into marriage. Marriage is great. School is great. Everything's great. Like, everything's just going perfectly. And I'll never forget the next moment. He just looked at me. And in the most loving but truthful way, he said, hey, hey, Jordan, you know, Jenny and I were talking to your wife, Rachel. And... Um, I don't think that she thinks that those things are true. She actually told us the opposite of that, right? Like talk about like a, like a gut check. Um, uh, I'm glad that like it was a great day for Sam and, Tain, and, and Taylor. That was not a great moment for me. Um, definitely ruins the night. But you know what? He was 100% right. That's exactly where we were at. And my wife, Rachel, had tried to tell me over and over again for the last three weeks, hey, this is difficult. Marriage is new. Moving to Chicago is new. new. School is tough. And yet I was not being a good friend. I failed to listen. And so at that moment, the last thing I needed was for Eric to come and just pat me on the back and say, everything's great. You keep doing it. Go for it. Right? I needed a friend to step in and to call me out in love and in truth. And I'm so grateful for that moment and the counsel he gave after that moment, right? He didn't leave me in that being like, well, you suck, good luck, right? He, <laughs> he, he encouraged me, he challenged me, he came alongside and he told me what I needed to hear, not what I wanted to hear. You see, Proverbs 27 says, iron sharpens iron and one man sharpens another. The process of sharpening iron is messy. There's a lot of sparks involved. There's high heat and friction. It involves beating a piece of metal into shape. And Proverbs is like, that's friendship. Good luck. The easier thing to do is to be indifferent towards our friends, but the faithful friend calls out your blind spots. You might be thinking like, that's my spiritual gifting in life is calling out other people's blind spots, right? That you're missing the point. That's not the point. Yes, we're to do that, but tread carefully when you do. Before you go into that, you should be prayerfully asking questions like, what's my motivation here? Is this for my gain or for their good? Do I want this person to look more like me or more like Christ? Um, Paul in, in the Bible was really good at doing this. He navigated this really well. Um, in, in, his, in his first letter to the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians chapter one, Paul addresses uh, the fact that there are some people in, in this community who are arguing with each other about which pastor on staff there was more important and they were bragging about who baptized who. And so Paul 
in, in a loving way, and this is paraphrased, um, he, he writes back and he says, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you idiots. You're missing the point. It's not about the preacher, it's about Christ. That's slightly paraphrased. Um, 2 Corinthians 7 actually shows us the response. It shows them how they reacted to this calling out. It says in verse 8, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I don't regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that it grieved you, though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Do you see it? A true friend is willing to step into the trenches, even if there is a cost. A true friend tells a friend to wake up, right? You can't miss this. And that in itself is painful, and it's sadly where a lot of friendships end. But that can't be the end for the person who wants to walk with wise friends. The correction is for the purpose of helping someone look more like Christ. So does this mean that non-Christians can't have great friends or a great friendship? Well, no, they definitely can. But what happens when that friendship is tested? What happens when, when one friend wrongs the other and justice is demanded? What happens when friends fail and there's no greater foundation of love and grace? You see, a true friend champions redemption. It's a process of making things better and no friend has modeled that better than Jesus Christ, the faithful friend. He is the foundation for every true friendship. It's how he was made and it's how we were wired. So as we end, I want you to turn to John 15. John 15, we're gonna start in verse 12. And I wanna look at some ways that Jesus models this perfectly. How he is the faithful friend for you and me. So again, John 15, verse 12. It's gonna be up on the screen too. It says this. He says, this is my commandment that you would love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone would lay down their life for his friends. Verse 14, if you are my friends or you are my friends, if you do what I command you, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I've made known to you. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. And so that whatever you ask in my father's name, he may give it to you. Verse 17, these things I command you so that you will love one another. You see, as we see in John 15, Jesus, the faithful friend is always there. He's always there. And he's always been there. He is the beginning and the end. He's the firstborn of all of creation. He created all things and sustains all things and holds everything together. And everything was created through him and from him. And you know what that guy calls you and me? Not servant. He calls you friend. Isn't that awesome? Again, not that you chose him. He chose you. Why on earth would Jesus choose us as friends? Well, because he loves us, because he loves you, because you didn't earn it. And he wants to walk in relationship, in friendship with you, that you would abide in him. 
Jesus is the friend that always is there through thick and thin, but also Jesus covers with love. Number two, the faithful friend covers with love. And this isn't a cheap love, not a love that falls short or fails, a perfect love, a love that considered the cost of having his own father turn his back on him, and yet he would lay down his life for his friends. You see, Jesus wasn't blind to the cost of our friendship. He asked his father, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And as he's contemplating this idea of friendship and the cost that he would bear for you and for me, you know what his friends are doing, where the disciples are at as he's praying and sweating blood? They're sleeping, they're cashed out. And he calls them, wake up, don't sleep on this friendship. You see, Tim Keller says, the most astounding thing about Jesus is that he is brutally honest about his feelings, yet absolutely submitted to the will of God. That's the type of friend that you and I have in Christ. But also this love will never end because point three, he chooses to forgive. He chooses to forgive. You see, his love is not based off of our performance, even when we fall asleep. He knows that we'll fail as friends and he's quick to forgive. He doesn't withhold truth from us or rub your failures in your face. He is perfectly honest and perfectly gracious at the same time. And lastly, this, Jesus, the faithful friend, he never quits. Number four, he never quits. You see, Jesus will always make things right. He is the perfect model and fulfillment of a faithful friend. And I don't know where you're at today with your friendships. Like your friendships could be great in the moment and that's awesome. Know that that is rare and Proverbs says, celebrate that. But also you may be walking through some pretty messy relationships in the moment where there's been disappointment or frustrations, if you and I are gonna take this path of wisdom, if we're gonna take Proverbs seriously, we have to know that a faithful friend, we need faithful friends to walk the path of wisdom. And that's the point. Don't miss a point that Jesus was making in John 15. He says that this commandment I give to you, that you would love one another as I have loved you. This message, you may be thinking about the friends that have failed you or the disappointment with others. If you want more faithful friends in your life, Proverbs is challenging you and me. You go be that faithful friend. You be that friend to others. You invite correction into your life. You look for opportunities to encourage and challenge one another, to enter the trenches. You and I need to be consistent and quick to forgive. This message is for us. The challenge is for us. And there's no better place to start. If you're like, I don't know where to go. How do, I, how do I even begin this process? I'd encourage you to sign up for a small group. That might be a great place to start, to enter into the trenches, to get to know people, to rub shoulders with other believers. But you can't pull from an empty well. A friendship without the gospel as its foundation will fail. Do you know the friend that you have in Jesus? that he loves you, that he suffered for you, and that he will not quit on you till you look like him and are with him forever. Let's pray. 
Jesus, you are the faithful friends to us. God, we can't even grasp the idea of being in relationship without looking to you. You are the beginning and the end. This starts and ends with you. And God, you are the perfect foundation for us. God, in the ways that you love us, would you stir up our affections to love other people more? God, would you be on the throne of all of our lives, our thoughts, our decisions, the next steps, God, would you give us wisdom where we lack? We need your help with this, with this idea of friendship. And God, we long for the day that you will make all things right, where sin will be no more. We look forward to that day where we're face to face with you, our faithful friend. But in the meantime, God, we say, help us. God, give us wisdom. Help us act according to your word. And would this come to life in and through the friendships of this church. We pray this all for you and in your son's name. Amen.